Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's Wednesday. It's May 10th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. It's cloudy outside a little bit. And therefore, the clouds this morning on my way in made the sunrise absolutely gorgeous. I'm sure you were not awake Ooh. to see it, though. Well, oh? I was up at, you know, six, you know, by six o'clock I was up. So. Okay, all right. But I didn't look outside at that point. I'm just trying to figure out how to get to my computer at that point. <laughs> Well, trust me, it was very beautiful this morning. So I was, uh, okay. I had a little Send smile a on my face. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Arizona highways type of stuff, huh? Yeah. I don't know if I'm that good of a photographer, though. I can ruin any great moment with my picture taking skills. You can just take a picture of the Arizona highways thing and shoot that out to people and nobody will know the difference. All right. Well, I'll keep that in the back of my head for the future. Oh, okay. Yeah, that'd be good. You know, deceive people. That's always a good idea. Well, <laughs> let's get into the sports topics for today. Obviously, the Phoenix Suns coming off of a loss to the Denver Nuggets last night. We'll also be joined by John Cannon around 11.15 today, former Valley Sports Talk Show host, to chat Golden State Warriors as they're looking to stave off elimination by the Lakers in tonight's contest. But let's set the scene with today's poll questions and we'll begin things with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Is it fair to say Kevin Durant's level of play has been subpar the first five games versus the Nuggets? And right now the masses are leading the way at 60% of the vote, no trailing at 40%. Yeah, I, I actually considered this question after you know, game whatever. Um, you know, probably game three. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, there was a you know, thought about it at least. And then I got into it a little more last night. And then they, this was a topic of discussion on NBA TV. And they actually, and I didn't have time to write this down fast enough because they did one of these graphic things, and I could only write so quickly and see, you know, from you know, basically deciphering a television screen of things. But when Aaron Gordon's been on Durant in this series, it's not been a good thing for the Suns. And uh, the Durant's one really efficient, good shooting game. Gordon had like two fouls in a layup line in that game uh, and was really basically hindered at what he could do that entire game. But when Gordon is defending Durant, it has been rough for Durant. We'll get into this uh, much more uh, in the show, as well as we'll answer the question officially around 1130 today. Over on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060, who do you have ATS tonight? Lakers plus seven or Warriors minus seven. And this has now come to a 50-50 split here. Uh, the Warriors are at home, have played better at home, and are looking to avoid elimination. That's true. Yeah, I don't really don't know if the you know Warriors have played the better at home. Quite frankly, I'd be interested to see the statistical numbers. Yeah, you know, not necessarily the wins and losses, but 
you know, they, they had, you know, they won road games, obviously in games five and seven in Sacramento. They lost game six in between at home in that series. And, you know, they were in, I wouldn't say good shape, but, you know, they had a, you know, double digit lead in the second half of that game that they lost on Monday night at Los Angeles against the Lakers. And until uh, the stuff hit the fan and uh, they made um, maybe some not so good decisions. And, and obviously Lonnie Walker came out of, uh, you know, almost hiding, even though he played some in the previous game. But, uh, you know, Lonnie Walker has been, you know, had the greatest quarter of his basketball life. Uh, we'll get into that. Answer it around 1130. We'll take your calls today. 1030 602 260 1060. If you'd like to chime in is the number to do so. But let's get into uh, the Suns and the Nuggets game five contest from last night. It was a Suns loss 118 to 102. And the flurry was fast and furious from the Nuggets after several misses back and forth. But then once the scoring got started for Denver, they went on a 9-0 run. The Nuggets made five threes to start the first quarter, and it was really a a late surge by the Suns to pull within 11 at the end of the quarter. And from the start, it was very clear that the Nuggets made adjustments to guarding Devin Booker. Absolutely. It was mainly, you know, Caldwell Pope, and they pressure Booker, you know, depending on, you know, you know, whether it was in half-court setting or whether it was after a basket or whether it's in transition, they got in his face a lot earlier. Uh, whether it was, you know, sometimes it was you know, almost half-court. Sometimes it was three-quarters court. Uh, and they clearly, you know, forced the action. And because of that, the Suns, had, I think, had massive problems getting set in their offense early in the shot clock. I mean, there were many of, you know, many of possessions last night where the Suns really didn't get into anything until like 15 seconds or less on the shot clock. Uh, so then you had the second quarter, which uh, clearly breathed some life into the Suns as Denver scored only 17 points. The offense, though, was kind of still hard to come by for both teams in this quarter, but it was a huge success here for the Suns to be able to pull within three at half. So I'm curious to know, it's halftime. Uh, you know, Devin Booker does make that half-court shot, essentially, but it didn't get off in time. So down three, what did you think at this point? Did you think uh, that they had exhausted everything to get it within three or did you think they're within three ball game on now when they come back from the second half I thought it was over at halftime I thought Denver had won the game in the first half you know they had you know the 17 points of the second quarter they missed a ton of open looks uh and they still led at halftime the fact that uh, the Suns were not ahead of the halftime after Denver played that poorly in the second half I thought the Suns were done All right. Well, then to that point, you thought the Suns were done. And, well, the third quarter certainly could not have gone much worse for the Suns. It was over two minutes before they did finally score in the quarter. Denver went out with 35 points. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. for the game, he found his shot. 19 points, 7 of 11, 5 of 8 from 3. Bruce Brown off the bench, 25 points, 7 of 11, and 9 of 10 from the foul line. And Jokic, 29 points, 13 rebounds, and 12 assists. And so certainly we had discussed this, that role players play better at home. We saw that last night from the Nuggets with Michael Porter Jr. and Bruce Brown giving them that lift. Yeah, yeah, Brown, that that performance was kind of uh, surprising. I mean, he's a good player, but that that's kind of insane that he was that good. Yeah, Porter had 14 in the first quarter. 
and you know basically they tried to put Booker on him, and that was a disaster. Uh, so, you know, the really, you know, the Sun, the, the the just the score by quarter thing was kind of weird. I mean, the Suns allowed 35 in the first quarter. You know, Monty Williams has been telling us for you know four years running now that anything above 30 and a quarter, whether it's you know, regular season or postseason, that's that's you know not good. That's way way worse than their standards. So they gave up 35 in the first quarter. Then they gave up 17, as you mentioned, in the second quarter. And I, I, you can make a case, even though I do think the Nuggets missed a bunch of open looks in that quarter, but you can make a case that that was the Suns' best defensive quarter in the postseason. But the Suns haven't played very many good defensive quarters in the postseason, so I don't know if that means anything or not. But you go from 35, allowing 35 to 17, and then they give up 39 in the third quarter. And, you know, the Nuggets, that was, you know, that was kind of a, you know, get your own, get, get whatever shot you want festival for the Nuggets in the third quarter. And once the Suns fell behind in that third quarter, it just looked like they quit. And it basically, and I'll use that word lightly, I think they were done. They packed it in. I actually thought it was a little surprised that Monty Williams played his starters as long as he did in the fourth quarter considering there's another game on Thursday night. Yeah, I was actually surprised about that as well, that they were in as long as they were. Uh, You know, we had discussed this that, you know, from a fan perspective, that that kind of stinks when the starters aren't still in there and, and you clearly go in the direction of, hey, we're, we're going to play for the next game. But from a strategical standpoint, it makes a ton of sense because you, they've been logging a bunch of minutes here. So get them off the court, uh, rest them up because it's a must win game for game six. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the hell with the fans and what they think. I mean, that shouldn't matter. But yeah, you know, to give you a chance, you you put your team in the best position to win, which is the job of a coach or a baseball manager. Uh, I don't think that was done last night. The other thing I thought was really important last night is obviously the Nuggets really up the tempo, and because of that, they had 31 fast break points. That's the most they've had in any of their postseason games this year. Uh, you, you know how I love to come with little nuggets and then I they're playing the nuggets, so we, we have to go with it here. Uh, this postseason, <laughs> the nuggets are 6-0 and when Jokic scores less than 30 points. They are 1-3 when he scores 30 or more points. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know really – I'm not sure exactly what that means. I guess I do know what it means because, you know, it's kind of you – know, the bottom line's the bottom line, but – yeah, I don't know if you, uh, you know, I don't think he actually was asked about his point total last night. It was asked of, you know, all the Wilt Chamberlain comparisons mm-hmm. and so forth. And he mentioned several different shapes and forms of how, you know, you know statistics are not number one on this list and how many points he's scoring, la di da, and whatever. I also think it's even a bigger deal that the Nuggets are undefeated at home this postseason at six and zero. And if you count the regular season and the postseason, they have won 40 games and lost seven at home this season. Yeah. I wonder if that speaks to, because you say 6-0 and at home, I wonder if that speaks to the role guys playing much better at home so Jokic isn't asked to be that major scorer. We obviously know what he's capable of doing, but instead it spreads the offense around, which puts the opposing team's defense a little bit more on their heels because the scoring can come from anywhere. I think that has something to do with it, but I've been saying for literally 40 years 
since the Doug Moe days, back in uh, the Alex English days and Fat Lever and that great team, that no team has a better home court advantage in the NBA than the Nuggets because of the altitude. Uh, even more so in the regular season because in back in the day you had teams playing four games in five nights and some of the time that was the, the last game of that series, that, that run of games was in Denver. That was one of the most popular and profitable betting trends in the history of sports wagering uh, back in those days uh, when there were a lot of four games in five nights situations. Then even now you get some teams that are back-to-back nights uh, that they have to play the second game in Denver, and that's still a profitable betting situation. They're, they're just It's a massive home field, home court advantage. Uh, you even hear NFL teams talk about it, and you know, it's a whole different deal there. They're only playing once a week, but you know, the mile-high air in Denver and mile-high stadium, and you know, I just think it's a mass. And having lived in Prescott uh, for, and worked in Prescott for you know, most of the 80s, uh, the 1980s, just to clarify there, the 1980s. Uh, but you know, I saw teams from the Valley who were inferior to Prescott High School teams in football and in basketball, you know, go to the altitude in Prescott and just wilt and get, get beat and uh, by you know, teams that, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they, they should have won. But, you know, the, the altitude makes a huge difference. Uh, by the numbers here, Devin Booker, 41 minutes, 28 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, 8 of 19, 4 of 7 from 3. Kevin Durant, 42 minutes, 26 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists, 10 of 24, and 0 of 3 from behind the arc. Have this Five turnovers also. Yes, those turnovers have actually been a bit problematic this series. Absolutely. He had 7 in the first game. Um so between the low field goal percentage and the massive turnovers for him, or really anybody, I mean, you know, five or more turnovers in two games in a, in a series that's played, you know, they only played five games, that's way too many. I have to ask this question here, uh, you know, just because the ball has been in his hands so often, he's creating for himself, he's kind of putting the team on his back to be that scorer, he's facilitating, the Nuggets also played him differently, you have altitude, you have the fact that uh, they didn't have as long of a layoff between games two and three, games four and five were played much closer together, was there any fatigue setting in for Devin Booker? Or do we think some of that explosiveness that we didn't see in the second half was because of he landed on his foot awkwardly in the first half? I have no way to really give you an answer as far as the uh, the, the injury situation or how you know his ankle, etc. But I don't think there's any doubt that he's been asked to do so much in this series. And once again, you know, Stephen A. Smith spearheading the Suns are a better team without Chris Paul garbage is just complete crap. Uh, and, uh, you know, you just look at, uh, you know, the situation, uh, how they try to run their offense without him. And the fact that just look at the assist numbers without him. And this notion that they're a better team without him is the dumbest thing I've maybe ever heard. The other thing I thought that was kind of interesting as well is that uh, the defense that we saw in games three and four, the help defense, et cetera, uh, certainly that wasn't there here in game five. You can't always control your shot going in, but you certainly can control effort. You can control physicality, and uh, you can certainly um, 
control you know, whether or not you're going to be ready to go from the jump. It, it definitely seemed like Denver punched them in the mouth right away. And that was a little bit surprising, I, I thought to me, that they were not ready to go from the start. And it, it kind of even uh, supported that with an in-game huddle uh, mic'd up with Monty Williams. And he was talking about how uh, that they, they were he that the players were allowing Denver to be more physical and that they really needed to stop being so passive. Yeah, I beg to differ a little bit on this. Not a lot, but a little bit. I really don't think the the defense of the Suns has been pretty much different in any game in the postseason. They're just not good on defense. And I think the Nuggets in the two games here missed a ton of open shots and in the second quarter last night. Uh, missed a ton of open looks at that point when the Suns defense quote unquote has supposedly been good I think much of that has had to do with Denver missing shots We'll certainly get into much more as we turn the attention to the must-win Game 6 on Thursday. We also have 76ers and Celtics conversation to get into. And then, of course, uh, we'll have John Cannon around 11.15 to break down uh, the Warriors' side of things as they look to stave off elimination tonight against the Lakers. They are home looking to do that. But we'll get into much more NBA playoff discussion here on Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060 online at kdos1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app powered by superbook sports on this wednesday may 10th bob kemp kayla mortellaro with you Sports Talk with former NFL and MLB player Ed Smith and co-host Javon Adams airs Saturday mornings 10 to noon on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Make sure you're downloading that KDOS app, register and enter for your chance at several prizes that we have up on the KDOS 1060 app. Continuing with our NBA playoff conversation, the 76ers went into Boston, beat the Celtics 115 to 103. Joel Embiid right from the start uh, was good. 33 points, 10 of 23, 10 of 11 from the foul line, seven rebounds, including four blocks. They got a lift from uh, Tyree Maxey with 30 points. James Harden contributed 17 points as well as 10 assists. It was a slow start for Jason Tatum before he got it rolling. 36 points, 11 of 27 3 of 11 from 3 and 10 rebounds uh the thing though that's been odd about this series for the celtics one i know you're going to talk about the defensive end of it but also the fact that the celtics shoot uh, threes at a high clip and typically at a very high percentage as well this series they are just shooting 31.6 percent from deep yeah and he wants them to missoula i think is having an awful series coaching wise um, one of the worst coach playoff series I've seen in a long time. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the end of uh, game four when you didn't call the timeouts or they actually had a chance to do that twice, the end of regulation and at the end of overtime. 
and didn't do it either time, and that didn't work out. They should have won the game or could have won the game at the end of regulation. Don't even get a shot off at the end of overtime. His substitution patterns has been have been very strange to me. I don't understand why Robert Williams isn't playing more. Uh, I don't. You know, we haven't been told that he has a health issue. I mean, unfortunately, he's had several you know, knee issues in the past, and maybe that's playing a role that we haven't been talked to, been uh, given that information. But he should be playing more minutes. Uh, he's got by, got by far the best chance of at least you know, doing something against Embiid. Al Horford uh, trying to guard him has been somewhat of a mismatch, especially as uh, as Embiid's uh, kind of uh, worked his way into this series a little bit more and increased his stamina and so forth. But I think Missoula's just had a horrendous coaching series here. I think you make an interesting point about Robert Williams. So if it's not health-related, it's definitely head-scratching why he isn't getting more minutes because uh, unless, you know, we've just kind of reached the point in Robert Williams' career where there has just been so many injuries that he's different now. But uh, before he went down last year in the playoffs, uh, you know, he was such a huge factor for why the Celtics were, you know, able to clean things up on the defensive end. That's true. Let me add one more quick thing about the Sixers. I think that Daniel House got a lot of run yesterday. He used to be with the Suns way back in the day. Not that far back in the day, but former Sun. But I thought he was really a big energizer boost and played really well at both ends of the floor last night. And there is zero question. I talked about Missoula. But Doc Rivers has done a whole lot of good things in this series. I know there's a lot of people out there that can't stand Doc Rivers. I think he's a terrible coach. And every time he's ever lost a playoff series, it's been his fault. Uh, But he has clearly been a vastly superior coach in this series, whether it's just getting hardened and screen roll situations with Al Horford too many times and they should have uh, allowed to happen in Boston. Yeah, or whether it, you know, he goes with Daniel House yesterday, and he was a big difference in this game. Uh, also, the 76ers are cleaning up on the glass. 49-36 to 36 rebounding advantage in last night's contest there. The Celtics have now lost two games at home, and they're down 3-2 in this series. And uh, the 76ers can close it out tomorrow. So, you've been talking... Sorry, they lost, did they lost. Did they lose two long... Two home games against Atlanta, also at least one. So they want they have you know holding home court has uh, been a big problem. Their defense, as I've mentioned many times here in the last two weeks, has just been atrocious. Uh, so bad combination, can't win at home, and bad defense. A long-range question for you because you've been talking about Joe Missoula and how Doc Rivers has been uh, certainly coaching a little bit better than him in this series here. With a lot better. <laughs> a lot better. Uh, with the you know talent that the Celtics have and Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown, and then you have the role pieces and things that they have done to try to invest in this squad and the expectations for this Celtics roster, is it impatient if the Celtics were to lose this series and to then go on to move on from Joe Missoula after just one season? I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be against it. Um, I'm not sure Brad Stevens, we don't have much of a you know general manager history with Brad Stevens. I think, I'm not sure if that's his official title or not, but he's in charge of these things. Uh, whether he would do such a thing. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't be completely against it based on what I – not just this series. You know, that Atlanta series, 
there was some strange stuff going on in that series too. And uh, the fact that you know that that series could have gone seven games, uh, but you know the Sixers, excuse me, the Sixers, the Celtics rallied to win the game in Atlanta to clinch that series. Was that the Janet Jackson? You know, concert game or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> so what? Yeah. Whatever. That it would be kind of like the Willis Reed game in 1969. It's the Janet Jackson game that uh, ended the series in Atlanta. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, that was the night she was supposed to be performing there. Uh, but anyway, uh, but back to the question. I wouldn't be surprised, or I guess I might be surprised because I just don't know what you know Stevens' thinking is because we haven't seen him in this role for an extended period of time. I certainly wouldn't be against it. And needless to say, you know, I've been talking for ever since the playoffs started for the most part. Uh, what are the Celtics doing here? It's not all, it's not all Missoula though. You know, Jason Tatum had one of the worst games of, of all time last night for somebody to score 30 plus points. Uh, I mean, he, he, he made some stupid plays. He didn't, it wasn't terribly efficient in some cases, and uh, you know he's supposed to be your stud guy, and you know Jalen Brown has had you know some games where you know, he's taken himself out with foul issues, and you know, that's made a real difference in this series too, as far as defensive matchups go. And if the Celtics uh, were not able to come back and win the series, you would then have both the one and the two seeds out uh, right. representing the Eastern Conference Finals. Correct. And, uh, you, know, you know, me and I'm guessing a few thousand, billion, million other people uh, have said uh, for weeks that the two best teams in basketball were Boston and Milwaukee. Take your pick of who you like the most. And uh, the Western Conference was just basically playing to see who loses in the finals. When it comes to the other game in the Eastern Conference, you have the Miami Heat, and they can close it out tonight against the Knicks in New York. Heat plus three and a half, Knicks minus three and a half. Numbers coming to you from the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It tips off at 4.30 p.m. Uh, the Knicks... They've been struggling offensively here. They're averaging under 100 points per game in this series. They're just shooting 43.6% from the floor and 28.2% from three. So the question here is, can the Knicks find some offense with uh, it being a must-win situation? I wouldn't be surprised if they won tonight in the MSG. I mean, the crowd gets you know pretty fired up. Uh, and, you know, I never quite bought the Knicks thing, even when they were supposed, would they win like 15 out of 20 or whatever it was to end the regular season? I never quite bought into that totally. Uh, you know, you know, I saw a thing, I wish I had the exact you know, numbers here, but I saw a thing that of the active players that have played X number of postseason games, Randall now has the worst shooting percentage of anybody. Uh, and he's just been an awful postseason player, whether it be a couple years ago when they got eliminated surprisingly in the playoffs, at least surprisingly to me, uh, and uh, others in that series by the Hawks. And, uh, you know, I, he's got this, uh, you know, it may be a legitimate injury excuse this time because he was obviously, you know, out for a while before the uh, playoffs started. But, yeah, he hasn't been any better in this series than he was two years ago, and he was awful two years ago. Emmanuel, quickly, for the Knicks, is also listed as doubtful for tonight's game. Yeah. Flipping this over to the Heat side of things. He makes a difference, by the way. Yeah, yeah, he, he definitely, you know, he, certainly him, his absence damages their rotation for sure. 
but he's also capable of, not consistently, but he is capable of making big plays at both ends of the floor. Didn't he finish runner-up for sixth man of the year? I would be the wrong person to ask okay. on that. That's true. So. As soon as I said it, I was like, well, maybe we'll just move right along to the Heat side <laughs> of things. Why am I asking Bob this question? Uh, for the Heat here, obviously you have uh, Jimmy Butler and what he's capable of doing. We spent a lot of time talking about Eric Spolstra and his adjustments and what he does uh, from the coaching side of it. But help me out here. Uh, what do we make about Bam Adebayo? So he uh, did not play yeah. very well in the first series against the Bucks but he's playing well in this series here, averaging a double-double, 17.8 points per game and 10.3 rebounds per game. What are we supposed to think about Bam and his game? He's tremendous. Uh, yeah, I would uh, kind of just bypass the first round. He actually had some very good moments in that series. Uh, you know, part of the problem is he was going against you know Giannis for some of that series once Giannis came back from the injury. But... Uh, yeah, he's a very good player. Uh, he's a, you know does more than you know statistically speaking. Yeah, you know, when uh, for instance when Butler went down in Game One of this series, remember they had to close that game out with the, him on the floor, but he was just a decoy, mm-hmm. and a lot of the offense went through Bam Adebayo. It wasn't necessarily him scoring, but he's such a good passer and a good screener and so forth. And I think that Adebayo and also Lowry deserve a ton of credit. Uh, because, you know, the offense, when Butler either needs a rest or he's a little hobbled, uh, the offense has gone through those two guys. You know, their complimentary players are really good. And Eric Spolster, I think, is the best coach in the NBA. And I've been saying that for a few years running now. Apologies to Steve Kerr. Sorry if I pissed off the Steve Kerr fans out there. Not that I think he's a bad coach. I just don't think there's a coach that gets more out of what he has and a team that is more prepared at both ends of the floor for several years running now than uh, Miami with Eric Spolster. Didn't I see something that, the, to, to your point about getting more out of what he has, that there's like at least five undrafted players on this Heat roster? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you, know, you know, in fact, you know, between, you know, there's like four guys in the NBA playoffs that played at DePaul. <laughs> why, why is DePaul never winning college basketball games? Um, you know, it's you know Chicago is a you know high school basketball hotbed, and they they should be doing better. But uh, you know those guys have done rather well once they go to the NBA. We'll put a pin in the NBA playoff talk for now. Uh, When we come back, we'll get into the Lakers and the Warriors game. We'll also get into the NFL schedule release, but feel free to interrupt us and uh, have your say about the Phoenix Suns game five and looking ahead to game six as well. The number to join the program, 602-260-1060, We'll take your calls now and get to you on the other side of the break, but more NBA playoff conversation and NFL talk. Coming up next, it is The Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. Have you downloaded the KDUS AM 1060 skill for Alexa yet? Dude. 
Alexa is frustrated. No matter how many times do you ask, the answer is male chicken. Once you're ready, say Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060 to listen to your favorite shows. 1041 here on this Wednesday, May 10th edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. As promised, it's phone call time. 602-260-1060. We'll pop on out to the KDOS hotline now. Al in Phoenix, what's on your mind? Hey, uh, Kayla and Bob. I'm listening actually on the app, which is uh, a very welcome addition. Uh, so good job there. Well, thanks for downloading it. Hopefully you're all registered and taking advantage of those listener rewards. Absolutely. Uh, Bob, you know, you mentioned Denny Crum, and I know you, you, you profited mightily on the 1986 team, but that 1980 team that he had was really, to me, was one of the greatest college basketball teams ever. It's really where I first, uh, obviously, uh, first start to, to, to look at the Final Four and, you know, you had a great matchup there in the final between uh, uh, UCLA and Louisville with uh, uh, Denny Crum and then Larry Brown on the other side of, uh, of the, uh, you know, coaching UCLA with uh, Vandaway. And uh, that team was just, uh, I thought, was, was, was just amazing. I think, and, and Denny Crum really took the Louisville program to, you know, it turned, took it into national prominence. And it's, it's a shame what, where it is right now. And that, it's a shame that he had a pass while the, Programs down, but uh, he was really an amazing coach. Agreed. Uh, the one thing I maybe beg to differ a little bit is that uh, I think they had more good teams than the 1980 team that actually didn't win national championships. And that UCLA team that actually got to the Final Four of the championship game that year was not that good. Uh, they yeah, made a run in the NCAA. Yeah. Right. They made the fluky is an excellent word. They made a run in the NCAA tournament that was unexpected. That included a win over the best Ohio State team that, you know, at least after Jerry Lucas left in the early 60s, uh, that's the best team Ohio State's ever had. And uh, they won, they, they eliminated the uh, Ohio, they eliminated, used to eliminate Ohio State in Tucson. And uh, the Sweet 16, if I remember correctly, um, uh, was, you know, earlier in the tournament than Ohio State should have been eliminated. You know, Clark Kellogg was on that team, Herb Williams. They had like seven or eight NBA players on that team, and uh, that was part of UCLA's run to the championship game. And that was one of those years that DePaul, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, had yeah. maybe had Mark McGuire and had a, you know, one of their inexplicable uh, early exits, which they always seemed to have under uh, uh, the time. Ray Meyer. And, uh, yeah, Ray Meyer. Yeah, Thank I remember – <laughs> I don't remember if that was the game they lost here or the uh, in AS. They lost you know, the game at the Activity Center. And they got eliminated one year here, and they also lost to St. Joe's in a game yeah. that uh, was you know first round of a tournament. In fact, that was just uh, that was the Indiana and, uh, won the championship. Yeah, and uh, definitely that was uh, the day that they played the game after you know the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan. Uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And DePaul, and that's another program. You're right; that should really be better than it is, but it uh, it hasn't uh, hasn't shown much uh, recently, or even you know for for years now. Yeah, I lived there for nine years, and they had like one or two really good teams. You know, Williams was the head coach there. 
They he did a good job keeping the Chicago players in town, and yeah, you know, Quentin Richardson, former son, uh, and Simmons uh, were you know Bobby Simmons were you know, two legends in Chicago high school basketball, and they actually kept those guys at home, and that's the, by far that I was a DePaul season ticket holder for several years when I lived in Chicago, and that was uh, largely because they played an outstanding schedule. They played, you know, you, you know I can't remember Great Midwest or whatever. I don't even remember what they called the conference then because they changed the conference name like every 20 minutes. But, uh, you know, they, they, played, they played some really good teams, and even when they were bad, they were worth going to see because you got to see good, good opposition. And then, uh, you know, I think you're right. Right, you're definitely right on the the seventy sixers. I mean, uh, the coaching uh, has helped, you know. And Doc Rivers, he does have a, you know, he gets all the <laughs> he's taking all the flack. People forget that he did win a championship too. The, the other thing is, you know, as far as that championship goes, you know, I think we all realize now that that Celtics team, though they weren't exactly best friends, by the way, as it turns out. I guess they all hated Ray Allen, uh, so. Yeah, remember they've had these reunion things, and they haven't even invited Ray Allen to some of those at the uh, you know, certain times. So you know, I'm, I've always you know, just kind of mysteriously didn't understand all the Doc Rivers bashing over the years. I think he's more more like a baseball manager though uh, than just a tactician. So maybe that's one of the reasons he gets criticized way too frequently. But uh, you know, th- this is a if we're doing like a Doc Rivers, uh, you know, you know uh, review of his strate- strategical career as a coach, the, the, this series right now is his finest, finest hour to date. I agree. And, and lastly, that the Lakers are up 3-1 against Golden State and in the second round. I mean, they, the start of the season, they seem like they were just dead in the water. And, wow, it's a, it's a huge transformation. Yeah, well, I think the huge transformation is you know, they made some good moves at the trade deadline, and the Lakers, you know, depending on whether they want to put these guys on the floor simultaneously, but you know, there's not a team in the playoffs still playing right now, or maybe even before the playoffs even started, where you can put four or five better defenders on the court simultaneously than the Lakers can right now. I agree, and I also think Anthony Davis, when he's on – it's like they could be the best team. I mean, it just—it's amazing how when, when he's having a great game, how 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 dominant he can be. It's just his inconsistency uh, is a little maddening. Well, I think the inconsistency comes at the offensive end. He's almost dominant every game defensively, and he certainly has been dominant almost every minute of this series so far defensively. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, Bob and Caleb. Appreciate it. 602-260-1060 is the number to join the program. Uh, right now, the line is Lakers 7.5, Warriors minus 7.5, and that contest gets underway 7 p.m. We'll have more on the Warrior side of things with John Cannon, uh, former Valley talk show host around 11.15. We'll talk to him about the Warriors side of this contest here. Curry, he's averaging 25.3 points per game in this series. Clay, 19.8 points per game. And uh, 
Andrew Wiggins at 14.8 points per game. So uh, certainly they're going to need an offensive lift somewhere as well as the Lakers are doing a great job on Steph Curry and forcing him in uh, to play both ends of the floor as well. But we'll figure out what to do with the AT&T Byron Nelson on the PGA Tour on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point. Teams Out West brings NFL, NBA, MLB, and local sports talk to you Monday night starting at 7 on KDUS AM 1060 and the KDUS 1060 app. Wrapping up hour number one of this Wednesday, May 10th edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS 1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. But before we do, have you gone to Putting World yet in Scottsdale located 16259 North Scottsdale Road? They're open Sunday through Thursday, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Friday and Saturday, 10 a.m. to midnight. Saturday nights is their putting contest. Uh, Make sure that you are checking out their bar 19 with great food and drinks get help with your putting stroke and fit into the right putter for you with their performance studios and all of the technology and coaches available to you uh that's over at puttingworld.com i have to say this there's been like an explosion of golf in my life i played two days in a row and uh in the second day i had to play my own golf ball and uh this putting world helped me out because i was able to roll in a nice little like 12 footer for birdie and I want a skin so there we go putting world located 16259 North Scottsdale Road open Monday through Thursday or Sunday through Thursday excuse me 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Friday and Saturday 10 a.m. to midnight puttingworld.com all right, the AT&T Byron Nelson is being played at TPC Craig Ranch at 7414 yards par 71 coming to you from McKinney, Texas and I don't know where to go here in this particular event because it's one week before the PGA Championship, so it's a major event. This is not an elevated designated event, so the field is rather weak. Heading into the event, it was Scotty Scheffler and Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth, uh, he withdrew with a wrist injury, and the statement doesn't look all that great in whether or not he's going to be available to play in the PGA Championship next week, so that's something that will have to continue to monitor but the second that Jordan Spieth withdrew the odds just went crazy Scotty Scheffler being the odds on favorite at plus 350 I mean yes he's far and away the best golfer in this field but uh are are you willing to just lay plus 350 for him to win the entire golf tournament uh Tyrrell Hatton he's uh he was 16 to 1 now 13 to 1 uh because of the withdrawal from Jordan Spieth he's been playing really well this year uh and and uh, so certainly that is a potential direction to go. Jason Day, 17 to 1. Tom Kim, 17 to 1. It ranked the second easiest course on tour in 2021 and the third easiest course in 2022. We only have two years of golf at this particular golf course. The AT&T and Byron Nelson has been around for years. Obviously, Byron Nelson and his history with the game, but only two years of this event being contested at TPC Craig Ranch, and they've both been won by K. H. Lee. And to the point of it being a really easy golf course, it was one at 25 under par and 26 under par. So you're coming in with a completely different mindset. Can you go low, fire at flags, and make putts? Uh, So you also have 
Hideki Matsuyama in this field. He's back from Japan after he was seeking medical attention for his neck injury that he's been kind of in and out of lineups this year. So we'll see how Hideki fares uh, going into this event. So here's the direction that we're going. Uh, Tom Kim, I actually took him before the Jordan Spieth withdrawal at 21 to 1. Uh, He certainly has an opportunity to make birdies in bunches. He generates a lot of birdie opportunities. So it's just whether or not he's on with the putter or not. He has putted well on bent grass this year before, so let's see if Tom Kim can ignite his game this week at the AT&T Byron Nelson. I'm also going Eric Cole, top 20 at plus 360. He's a very good par 5 scorer. He finished tied for fifth in Mexico, which is a course that has some comparable uh, things in relation to this event at the TPC Craig Ranch, so let's see if Eric Cole, you probably remember his name, coming out of absolute nowhere uh, at the Honda Classic. He's certainly been around the game of golf for quite some time, but he put himself right in contention at the Honda, so we'll see if he can do it again for a top 20. And then we're going with Mr. Steady, Mr. Consistent, Matt Kuchar, top 20 at plus 125. He finished tied for 12th and tied for 17th the last two years at this golf ter- golf course. He seems to be kind of back in form, and he ranks 13th in par 5 scoring, so we'll see if Matt Kuchar uh, can steady as he goes his way into a top 20 this week week it's certainly not a challenging golf course and like i said you really just have to be firing at flags and uh, give yourself plenty of birdie opportunities also he's uh he's making news because he uh is now patrick cantlay's full-time caddy and we're talking about joe lacava patrick cantlay not playing this week so what does joe lacava go and do he's apparently picked up nelly corda's bag this week on the lpga tour uh just for the week because obviously joe lacava will be caddying for patrick cantlay next week at the pga championship but uh um nelly corda's normal caddy him and his uh, wife, fiance, had a baby. So he's a little occupied right now. So stepping in is Joe LaCava this week for Nelly Corda on the LPGA Tour. Hour number two is coming up on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060.